Greetings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Amazon last week announced plans to further expand its one medical network of subscription-based primary care clinics. Could the company disrupt healthcare in the same way it has redefined the retail sector? Also this morning, it's another Mental Health Monday, fighting the good fight. Hancock Public Health and local resource agencies are hosting an Overdose Awareness Day event this week. We have details. And the Hancock County OSU Extension 4-H team is in full fair mode with opening day only about two weeks away. Lauren Berner Kitzler will be here to tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, August 14th, 2023. So what'd you do over the weekend? Uh, did you maybe go out on a go out on a date? Maybe a first date? According to a new survey of two thousand dating Americans, they asked how long should the ideal first date last? What would be the ideal duration of the first date? And it seems that uh, dating Americans agree that the ideal first date should be just under three hours long. Now, I don't know if you timed your date, if you went out on a date this weekend, if you timed it or not, but just under three hours seems to be the sweet spot. Respondents said that it takes about four dates to feel truly comfortable with someone. 46% say drinking too much on a first date is a turnoff. So probably not a good idea to get sloshed at a bar in your first date. Uh, a drink or two is fine, but too much alcohol is a turnoff. 57% say sipping their favorite drink helps them feel more comfortable. So it's not a big surprise that alcohol would be involved in a uh, first date, but you can have too much of a good thing. Uh, indicators of a good first date. So this is this is what you really want to know. If you had a first date over the weekend, how did it go? Because that's what everybody's gonna gonna ask you, right? If you went on a first date with someone this weekend, and maybe you told your friends at the office this weekend, hey, this weekend I'm dating a new, going out with a new girl. So they're gonna ask you, uh, how did it go? Uh, indicators of a good first date include a text or a call right after said date. Uh, A good night kiss is a good indicator that things have gone well. Um, Extending the date. (laughs) That's a, yeah, that's a pretty good indication that it's gone well. If you are just under three hours and the both of you want to extend the date, I think it's pretty safe to say it has gone well. 65% said a sign of a bad first date is leaving early. Especially if you don't tell the other person that's what you're going to do, you know? <laughs> if you just, like, you go, to the, go to the bathroom and never come back, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a bad date. Um, oh, I'm sorry, I have to go uh, check, on, check on the car. I don't know whether I, uh, I locked the doors of the car or left something in the car and then you just disappear and never come back. That's a bad, that's a bad sign. Uh, so anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. The ideal first date uh, lasts just under three hours. So now you know. Uh, if you were traveling 
over the weekend or traveling last week or have traveled at any point uh, during the summer or really uh, anytime. You can appreciate this story uh, in Newark, New Jersey. Passengers were stranded for an hour on a United Airlines plane on the ground. Uh, let's see here. It was a flight bound for Rome leaving out of Newark. International flight, United Airlines, bound for Rome, flying out of Newark. And uh, apparently the passengers were stuck on the tarmac for several hours. It doesn't say exactly how long. This is a story from uh, uh, USA Today. Um, <laughs> this is the, uh, the problem. Passengers complaining that they were stuck with uh, no air conditioning, uh, no food or water uh, for seven hours. Here it is. It says seven hours until the flight was canceled. And the reason why they were stranded on the tarmac, uh, there was a problem with the air conditioning on the plane that they were trying to fix. (laughs) So I'm thinking this really looks bad. I mean, it's one thing to have a mechanical issue on on your plane and it's sitting there on the tarmac and, and people are on the plane Uh, complaining of no air conditioning and then you realize after the fact oh my goodness what did we do there's no air conditioning you know somebody that kind of gets lost in the shuffle that's one thing and that's bad enough but they knew that there was no air conditioning on the plane for the passengers because that's what they were trying to fix (laughs) in this case that was the mechanical problem that was the problem and they still wouldn't let the uh, passengers off uh, ultimately, the flight had to be canceled because uh, the crew had been on duty so long they couldn't complete the flight to Rome, so they had to uh, cancel the flight because of uh, crew regulations. Uh, one passenger actually fainted and required medical treatment. Uh, in a statement, the airline acknowledged the incident and said it regretted being unable to provide customers a better travel experience. And uh, they did say that they... Uh, Offered the uh, passengers compensation. So, as <laughs> I mean, it's one thing to have a mechanical issue and then realize after the fact, oh my goodness, uh, we messed up. There was no air conditioning. But they knew there was no air conditioning because that's what they were fixing. <laughs> All of those airlines. Uh, let's see. A couple of other uh, interesting items. Among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. I happen to see this story. You know that uh, this has been an ongoing thing for decades. For decades. Lawmakers have tried to shut down uh, pornography. And especially since the dawn of the Internet, been trying to uh, shut down pornography on the Internet or at the very least keep it out of uh, out of the view of minors, right? But ideally, I want to shut down the uh, the porn industry. <laughs> well, according to a report in Politico, a number of states have discovered an incredibly easy way to accomplish this. They've been working on this for decades, and they have finally <laughs> discovered a way to do this. Uh, it's, the report goes on to say the industry has always appeared to be ban-proof, But a number of states have now passed a law requiring online adult websites to verify that users are 
over the age of 18, 18 or older, by showing a government ID before signing in. Since then, traffic to the most uh, most popular adult websites have dropped by 80% in Louisiana. Uh, they have also stopped operating in Mississippi altogether, along with Utah, Virginia, Arkansas, Montana, and Texas, where they've passed their own laws simply requiring that the porn sites verify users to be adults. Really? That's all it t- took? And this has taken you how many years to try and figure out? And that's that. <laughs> that's the answer? This is the only thing they had to do? That seems incredibly simple, somehow. Uh, just <laughs> seems like you can't believe we had nobody thought about this uh, earlier. That's the... Uh, Anyway, um, here is uh, new research from the file of the research that we really shouldn't need research to tell us. According to a new study, and this is out of Australia, researchers have found that young people are more likely to stumble and fall when texting while walking. <laughs> uh, no kidding. No kidding. Actually, this is worthwhile. Stuff. There's this uh, mindset, this general belief that young people are uh, pretty adept at multitasking, texting and doing other things at the same time, whereas us older folks are the ones that struggle with this. Um, but apparently, young people uh, are just like the rest of us, more likely to get into an accident while they are texting and not paying attention to what they're doing. Uh, And along with the potential for an accident, researchers also show that the quality of the text messages they are sending is not as good when they are typing while they're on the, while they're on the move. Uh, In other words, if young young people uh, text while they are walking, they are more likely not just to fall down or walk into a pole but also to make typos. <laughs> uh, until now, experts have been divided over whether uh, texting while walking increases the risk of accident. Um, so, some studies previously have shown that texting pedestrians are more likely to walk into oncoming traffic, while some research suggests that young adults have mastered multitasking and can text accurately while navigating obstacles. This research would suggest else uh, otherwise so uh, that was kind of interesting and a uh, couple of interesting sports stories uh, from uh, over the weekend I don't know if you uh, saw this uh, Atlanta Braves starter Alan Winans pitched seven shutout innings in the Braves 21 to three route of the Mets on Saturday afternoon in New York 21 to 3. Pretty easy to get into a rhythm as a pitcher when you've got that kind of a lead to work with. But uh, what was interesting about this, aside from the incredibly lopsided score, it was Alan Winans' first major league win in just his second big league appearance. He's 28 years old, and uh, he's actually <laughs> a substitute teacher. Uh, that is how he has been supplementing 
his minor league salary during the uh, offseason in his hometown of Bakersfield, California. He's a <laughs> he's a substitute teacher uh, in the offseason because when you're a minor leaguer, uh, sometimes you got to have a uh, another <laughs> nine to five job to uh, to pay the bills. Not bad for a substitute teacher pitching uh, seven shutout innings in a your second major league out- outing. I just thought that was cute. And uh, how about this? The youngest professional athlete in American team sports is 13-year-old Davian Kimbrough. He is a member of the Sacramento Republic FC Soccer Club. A member of the Youth Development Academy, he has signed his first professional contract at the age of 13. He is now eligible to compete for a spot on the first team. Uh, per club policy, team uh, terms of the contract were not dis- disclosed. Uh, apparently, in two academy seasons, he scored 61 goals and was named most valuable player at uh, the under-13 international tournament that the team put at under-13. Wow, that is uh, 13 years old. First professional contract. Anyway, there you go. Some of the uh, more interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Monday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers today with a high in the upper 70s. Showers tonight, a low in the mid 60s. The Finley Police Department's body cam program goes live today. Police Chief James Mathias. I think it's a very positive piece of equipment and another tool for our tool belt, if you will, to to put this in place and that most of the departments our size definitely larger uh, already has this equipment the chief says the use of body cameras will increase transparency enhance officer safety and increase accountability get more of our conversation with the chief about the body cam program in the story on our website the finley police department says a motorcyclist was injured in a crash that occurred when a car pulled out in front of him it happened at north main street and laquinio street Police say a man from Macomb was driving his Harley northbound on North Main when a car being driven by a man from Finley pulled out from Laquinio Street on North Main Street and struck the motorcyclist. Police said the motorcyclist was taken to Blanchard Valley Hospital with serious but non-life-threatening injuries. The driver of the car was cited for failure to yield at a stop sign. Get more on the website. New students at the University of Finley completed the university's most sacred tradition, the Arch Ceremony. More than 600 students walked through Griffith Memorial Arch towards Old Main. Legend has it they can't walk through the arch again until commencement or they won't graduate. This year, UF is celebrating 100 years of their Arch Ceremony tradition. See some video on our website. New Finley City School Superintendent Dr. Andy Hatton was blown away by the number of people that came out for the Trojan Country kickoff. The turnout by not only our athletes and their families, but kids from all different parts of our community are here with their families. And it's just a great way for us to come together in Trojan Country to to kick off the school year. Trojan Country kickoff included activities for the kids, the introduction of the sports teams, and a scrimmage by the football team. The first day for students in Finley City Schools will be Tuesday, August 22nd. Get more of our conversation with the new superintendent at the event in the story on our website. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. 
So now to our cover story this morning, and this was a story that we talked about uh, briefly last week, I think Thursday or Friday, and in business news, Amazon has announced an expansion of its One Medical Network, which is a subscription-based system of of primary care clinics, routine care, and, and so on. Um, But it's subscription-based, which is a a bit unusual, and so it raises the question, uh, could could the company, could Amazon disrupt healthcare in the same way that they redefine the retail sector? And um, Dr. Bill Coase is with us from uh, Blanchard Valley Health System. So this is really uh, interesting. Uh, This is a San Francisco-based startup that Amazon purchased a year or two ago for an ungodly amount of money, and they have really worked on expanding this uh system over the uh, past couple of years uh expanding into new cities and so on in columbus i believe they have a number of these uh of these clinics actually um and it's it's the way i understand it it's 199 dollars a year and that's it there's no copay there's no office visits 199 dollars a year uh and to go in for routine care now neither you or i have any sort of uh, insight into Amazon's, you know, uh, balance sheet or anything like that. But when you look at a business model like that, does it make you wonder how in the world do they make an ends meet? I mean, how are they? Well, it does just, make you try to figure out how this is going to work. Yeah, yeah, and obviously the Amazon high level, uh, what I know about it is subscription. We're a subscription based yeah. economy anymore, yeah. but what like they Amazon do prime prime and healthcare. what they're doing. Yeah. So if you think about just without talking about Amazon so much, because I don't know exactly their right. model, you've got to have providers. You've got to have someone that has a license. You've got to mm-hmm. have someone that would be available. The expectations are going to be anyone that's doing urgent care or the teledoc, the uh, when you can call and get a prescription that you have to have accessibility and you have to have quality and you have to know what you're doing now with that being said a lot of primary care is um or are are things that can be quickly handled Mm -hmm. so if you were just looking at stuff yeah i mean sometimes people need a prescription refilled or they've got poison ivy or they've they need to get a tetanus shot or whatever now you a lot of times you're going to need to have some kind of physical evaluation. There are some really neat things out there that you could buy yourself and be able to show someone on a telehealth kind of visit. You can look in the ear, you can look at the throat, you can put a blood pressure cuff on, you can Mm -hmm. put something on your heart so somebody can listen to you. That's part of the model of what's going on with making access to people really 24 by seven. Yeah. Um, I, 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 the, but the other part, I was a primary care physician is every once in a while you see something that's not that, uh, easy or you got to think a little bit and not that someone on the phone or telehealth or what can't do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, it used to be a lot of these models would be, well, that's not something we can take care of. So you need to go to the emergency room. So mm-hmm. you're not really any, I don't want to say better off because we do handle a lot of things over the phone uh, calls and things like that. So yeah. I, I can see a young person, uh, probably doesn't visit a healthcare provider very often if they don't get a physical at that they might be able to, uh, you know, for $200 a year, be able to take yeah. care of them. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because we can, we can sit and say, 
uh, point out all of the the ways where, gee, I don't know how this is going to work, but uh, and this can't possibly work. But at the same time, a lot of retailers said the same thing when Amazon. Oh yeah, the retail I mean, I, I, I mean, look at Sears and J.C. Penney who discounted uh, Amazon's influence and said, "Oh, that'll never work." And now Amazon's here, and Sears and J.C. Penney are. Yeah, gone. if you if so, you look at just business models, the disruptive technologies, what mm-hmm. I call it, Christiansen, the guy from Harvard, that's written about that, and that happens in healthcare. People that go in to those kind of things, it's usually on the fringe. And fringe not being anything wrong, it's mm-hmm. those things out there. Well, nobody's done a very good job of access is a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. when people people have to work, uh, getting off work, going to see a provider. So the availability at uh, opportune times makes it something that you can disrupt. And if it's fairly simple, there's probably uh, a place where that that can work. Now, again, I'm a doc, so I worry about, well, exactly what's going to happen. But Sure. Yeah. Um, but it actually brings up, and that kind of alludes to the, the, the question that really is interesting to me, is that given Amazon's track record – uh, again, what they did and the way they disrupted the retail sector, if they expand into the medical space, into the healthcare space, you pretty much have to pay attention to what they're doing, right? And, and see, sure. is, is there some way that we can emulate this? Yeah, and I think they're looking at a problem the way we, I, and I think we're trying to look at it. I'm talking about healthcare in general and mm-hmm. here locally about this access problem of, um, as, as we look into health, trying to improve the health of the community, there's a lot of what are called social determinants of health. And so it's not just getting health care, it's transportation, it's housing and things like that. And you have a lot of, I, I don't want to stereotype, let's say single mothers that are working two or three jobs, mm-hmm, trying to sure. take care of their kids. And so access, being able to get them in quick and to be able to take care of that it's affordable is certainly a problem, and how we go about trying to solve that, there's probably going to be lots of different ways. And there are, in fact, a lot of uh, different ideas uh, that are out there. You've tried uh, some of them locally to make sure. access. Sure. I mean, well, the urgent care and then the, sure. the call, and we've we've been doing telehealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also get into the, uh, the different kinds of clinics that can be available with Medicaid expansion, with... Uh, uh, what's going to happen with how insurance is going to be. I mean, what they're doing for $200 is somewhat like an HMO, except an HMO is a lot more, and it takes care of if you need to go other places. Mm-hmm. But it's a capitated system that you're going to be taken care of for this amount of dollars, so you want to be effective and efficient. That's another thing that, uh, on the afford- affordability uh, side of things, and we've talked about this uh, before in in terms of making health care affordable, uh, $199 uh, a year uh, to take care of just the uh, routine things. Obviously, that's a very affordable price point. And I would imagine that uh, insurance companies uh, kind of like that idea uh, sure. as well. Because as I've understood, and again, I don't have any uh, great insight, but I've been uh, told that it's those routine things that really are the bane of the insurance company. They would much rather see a... a big bill for a heart attack or a stroke or cancer diagnosis, those are easier to pay out because those are the things that they prepare for in the insurance industry. It's those little nagging things that nickel and maybe it's kind of like our, our individual budget. It's those little things that nickel and dime you to death. Well, that, from a from an operational standpoint, yeah. that's certainly true. It's, it's as hard to take a bill that's 
$60 or $120 because you have to do the same preparation and trying to follow it and all of those kind of things. Mm-hmm. We'd all like to be as much as we can with wellness and prevention, but there are things that are going to come up. So yes, the efficiency, uh, and I think everyone would say the billing processes across the nation, healthcare with all of the different providers gets really complex and gets to be a real problem for people. Amazon does a pretty good job of figuring out how to do that, and so do a lot of other places. It's interesting, again, on the affordability scale, this is a story that I saw in the news uh, Newswire this morning. It's a Gallup poll, uh, 5,500 adults, uh, finds that almost half of Americans give a poor letter grade to the U.S. health uh, healthcare system, and affordability is the, the big concern. Uh, it's like three-quarters of respondents uh, give a, a D or an F for affordability, and so that really speaks to you know the the issue widespread issue uh again that can't be a surprise to you no and and i i do understand where people come from i mean Mm -hmm. i can justify in my own mind or is this expensive being available uh 24 7 the kinds of things we do but it is expensive when you look at uh, well 20 percent of our gross national product is related to health care we don't have the greatest outcomes compared to other countries and that's something we're all struggling with the biggest uh, issue, uh, perhaps, in all of this is, and you were touching on it a little bit earlier, being able to staff uh, these clinics or whatever you know associated, uh, emulated uh, healthcare uh, clinics or, or operations, because that continues to be yes, a, a and, big concern. And and when we think about availability, we think primarily providers, whether nurse practitioners or doctors. But mm-hmm. to be open, you have to have lots of staff. And inflation in healthcare has been especially related to the workforce, um, understandably so, at frontline, nursing, everywhere else, and way above trying to find people to be able to staff. We, we have struggled. I think things are maybe a little better here, but across healthcare, it is still a tremendous problem, especially in nursing. The bottom line is that here is uh, another example of the changing nature of the way we get all kinds of services. Healthcare is not an exception, and the industry really has to, uh, I don't want to say adapt or die, but again, we saw, we've seen what's uh, the impact on the retail sector. Um, it's now expanding, expanding healthcare and everything else. No, no, no question about that. About where fee for service medicine is going to end up, how much the government's going to have to get involved. Do we get a single payer? I mean, sooner or later, there's only so much money. Yeah, all of this uh, coming to a head. Yes, continues to uh, to move in that direction. Really interesting stuff. Again, uh, Dr. Bill Coase, another perspective from the healthcare industry about these dis- disruptive uh, ideas that are uh, entering the medical field. Dr. Coase, thanks very much for dropping by. We Always good it. to talk to you, Chris. So I want to tell you about an event that is coming up a little bit later on this week, Thursday, in fact. Hancock Public Health and local resource agencies hosting an Overdose Awareness Day event. Heidi Barilla is Program Director with Focus Recovery and Wellness with us in the studio this morning to be part of this event on Thursday. First of all, uh, Heidi, for the benefit of those who are not aware, what is uh, Focus Recovery and Wellness? What What is it that you do? 
So Focus is a peer-led recovery center, and we use a holistic approach towards recovery, and we accept every pathways. So it's a space where individuals can come and just kind of hang out with others. We have group settings to learn, like, life skills, cooking classes. There's uh, meetings that are ran there on the weekends. We do art groups. Um, There's a pool table. We got Netflix, you know, so it's kind of just a safe place where people can come and be themselves. And... uh you deal with um, uh, issues of addiction and other so um, anybody anybody that's um, in recovery from mental health, substance use, or trauma. Mm-hmm. And kind of what that looks like is anything, you know, like if you kind of look at your life, everybody is on a path to recovery, really. Um, You know, when we say recovery, people are like, I don't do drugs. And we're like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. It's just yeah. not about the drugs. Yeah. Well, so so often, uh, all of these things are are tied together. Yeah. Um, it's it's almost like uh, different pieces of the same puzzle. Yeah, I mean that's uh, that's kind of a, a well established yeah. uh, piece that addiction doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's usually other things that are going right. on. Right. It's um, pretty much shown, shown and myself also, like my addiction stems from trauma. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people that I know, like stories I've heard, it's like things that have happened in their life or like things that like, you know, they walk into the room and they just don't feel comfortable in their own skin mm-hmm. and they start having a couple of drinks. You know, one thing needs, leads to another. And yeah. um, But at the same time, what, one of the things that, that makes this such a complicated issue is that not everybody has that same... I mean, we all have, as you say, we all have this, we're all on a path to recovery in some way, shape, or form. We all have uh, those moments or those challenges yeah. in our lives. Not everybody uh, turns to Correct. drugs or alcohol or, or whatever. Yeah. That makes it one of the more challenging yeah. uh, things to get a handle on. Yeah. So what I think it's about, you know, when individuals go on that path and then they get into recovery, they got to find a healthy way of life. You know, mm-hmm. we remove the substances, but now what? What are you going to do with your life? Mm -hmm. You know, you need to get up at a decent time. You need to work a job. You need to find some things to do for self-care, find some hobbies. Yeah. Um, We mentioned the Overdose Awareness Day event this week. Uh, I would imagine that's a large part of what this day is uh, is about. Yeah. So uh, at our event, we're going to be displaying 991 uh, little flags uh, to show how many individuals' lives were saved due to the use of Narcan last year in Mm. 2022. Wow. Um, We will have people there that have lived experience, survived overdose, and they'll have a T-shirt on that says, I survived overdose, so people can just kind of talk to them. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a slideshow made for people to see who's lost their lives to an overdose. So Mm -hmm. in 2022, 28 people lost their lives to an overdose. So we will have uh, 28 black flags to display that. Um, and if anybody wants to send in a focus um, about an individual, a loved one, that they lost their life due to an overdose, we can display it on the slideshow. Boy, those numbers are uh, pretty dramatic. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, that really kind of hits you when you yeah. uh, hear some of those uh, statistics. Um, it's interesting. You, you mentioned there are going to be survivors that folks can talk to. Yeah. That's one of the that's one of the big challenges to yeah. understanding yeah. what's going on yeah. in the lives of those who are on that road to recovery yeah. is what do you what do you say to somebody yeah. or how do you you know you always have those questions yeah that, yeah so really what we do you know at focus and you know people in recovery they just try to meet people where they're at you know so 
where are you at? What are you trying to do? Um, even people that aren't on a path to recovery, like we still need to try to help those individuals. You know, they are people. And once they're in that realm of the, just the rut, the muck, like the nasty of the addiction, mm-hmm. they're not, they're not like, okay, you yeah. know? So I, I, I guess, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to talk more about this uh, event, because when you say overdose awareness day, I think most people's first reaction is, well, what is involved in awareness? And we, we are already aware of yeah. the problem the, uh, of overdose within the community. We know that uh, our community is not untouched. There's no uh, place that is uh, is free of uh, of this issue. So what more needs to be done with respect to awareness? I mean, yeah. I think that's the initial thing. That yeah, so um, we're going to have Narcan available. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're really trying to pass out Narcan to every individual that we see. Um, it is a safe, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want that. I don't need that, you know, but even to have it in your car, put it in your, uh, first aid kit. Um, you know, I had some churches, they have it at their, um, first aid kit station Mm -hmm. because if somebody is not okay and you think they're having a heart attack, you're really not sure what's going on, but if they're in an overdose and you give them the Narcan, it'll reverse the overdose and it won't hurt anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that is a big part of, uh, of the day, the information, um, is is the other uh, key part of it because let me present it this way. Um, we have focus is, is one of the resources. We have any number of resources with a, within the community that are available to help when people decide to reach out. Yeah. Yeah, we have other resources in the um, community also. So we also have Family Resource Center. You know, that's located out on Carlin Avenue. We have Ohio Guidestone. That's over on Tiffin Avenue. Sparrow Health. um, So all those are places people can go. The hospital um, even has, you know, resources available. Uh, The best thing to do is to just find, like, a number, a connect, somebody that you can talk to so you can just call them directly. And at Focus, that's what we do. Like, where if you don't come there, you're not in recovery, you don't want to be in recovery, you are, whatever it is, you're a family member, Mm -hmm. you can call the number and just ask us, hey, I want to go about this or I want to do this, and we can kind of lead them in the right direction. That's so important resources, not just for those in the throes of addiction, but those whose lives those individuals touch yeah. because everybody has uh, everybody has family, everybody has yeah. friends uh, yeah. who are impacted by this. Yeah, for sure. Um, so give us the uh, details. We mentioned this is Thursday. The Overdose Awareness Day event is uh, Thursday, and you're actually uh, right there at uh, Dorney Plaza, right? Yeah. Yep, so it's going to be right downtown, uh, Thursday, August 17th, uh, 2 to 4, come out, and then afterwards you can just walk right over to the farmer's market. Um, it, that's a good point. <laughs> you can uh, visit the uh, farmer's, a lot of things going downtown. Uh-huh. Thursday is the uh, the perfect day uh, for all of this. And how much of a difference do things like this make for those who are dealing with addiction issues to the... I would imagine it makes a difference when you can say people understand or people know that this is an issue. 
do you feel like you're less on an island? Yeah, you... yeah. I think it really helps to break the stigma too. Yeah, you know, to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a link up on our uh, webpage for uh, more information. Again, it is happening on Thursday at uh, Dorney Plaza, the Overdose Awareness Day uh, event, and uh, we're stopping by to learn more uh, about how uh, serious this issue is and the resources that are available to help. And again, uh, Heidi Barilla is Program Director at Focus Recovery and Wellness. Heidi, thanks very much for dropping by. We yeah, appreciate thank it. thank you. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. File this under the category of best laid plans. You know, best laid plans uh, always seem to go awry uh, for a British woman. Uh, she had a brilliant idea. She had a great idea. Or she thought it was a great idea. She flew 4,000 miles to a um, isolated island the Caribbean nation of St. Lucia. Um, she wanted to have her baby on a uh, on the beach, uh, in a you know remote island. It sounds rather romantic, right? Um, uh, Il- 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 Ilulia, Ilulia, and her husband from Great Britain wanted to have their baby on a beach. Uh, on a uh, remote island. During a boat outing, uh, she unexpectedly gave birth. When they returned to shore, they found themselves in the middle of a bureaucratic nightmare because no one witnessed the birth. That's the problem with uh, having your baby in a remote location, on the beach, all of that. Best laid plans. No one witnessed the birth. So they were, since they were unable to prove where their daughter was born, they could not register a birth certificate <laughs> until they got DNA tests um, to prove that they were the uh, the parents. Um, Ilya and her husband Clive said that we have been passed around by different agencies and nobody will help us. A uh, spokesperson for the UK Foreign Commonwealth Development Office said that they're going to try and provide uh, consular support uh, to the parents and work with the uh, nation of St. Lucia to sort out this whole nightmare. They had their baby, and now they can't prove that it's their baby or get the uh, birth registered because they were in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Again, seemed like a good idea at the time. Oh, wouldn't this be wouldn't this be great to have a uh, baby on the beach, a remote island of the world, off in our own little paradise? Well, maybe not. <laughs> uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, Argentina, the nation of Argentina, has had it with foreign soccer fans who destroy the country's money in order to taunt the home team. Apparently, this is a, a thing. Soccer fans are a little crazy anyway, the international uh, soccer scene. Apparently, it is a common way for fans of clubs in other countries to to taunt Argentinian teams because the value of the Argentine peso is all but worthless 
after years of hyperinflation in that country. And so they, they've come up with a with a thing of, of tearing up money uh, as a provocation uh, to the uh, team, the way to taunt the other team. Apparently, this is very uh, popular with fans, particularly in Brazil and Chile. Uh, they're t- tearing up Argentinian money at the, at the soccer stadium. From now on, now the nation of Argentina is cracking down. From now on, anyone caught tearing up or burning Argentinian bills, currency bills, could be sentenced up to 30 days in jail. And, of course, if you torn up or burned all of your money, you would not be able to bail yourself out. So <laughs> That's just bizarre. Um, some of the other uh, items, the broken news, odd and unusual side of the uh, headlines. You know how we say that it is not funny uh, when people die, so generally we don't, uh, as, a, as a general rule of thumb, we try not to include fatalities in the uh, broken news, but is it is it sad when a snake dies? Apparently this happened in Israel. Uh, a snake, and this actually made the news in Israel, a snake discovered why porcupines are not a good part of a serpent's diet. You can see where this is going, right? A, a photo uh, of this, uh, I guess, uh, circulated in uh, Israeli media, the snake and the porcupine uh, both died when the reptile tried to rid itself of its unwanted meal. It gulped down a porcupine and then realized, oh, that's probably not a good idea, then tried to uh, rid itself of the, uh, of the meal. <laughs> Didn't work out well. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Again, these are just random, strange... News items. A little closer to home, a former San Diego paramedic has now been ordered to stand trial for burglary and identity theft. Nicholas Connery was caught allegedly breaking into a home that he had previously responded to for a medical emergency. (laughs) That was like a brilliant plan. Uh, Following his arrest uh, after the break-in, Officers searched his locker at work and found the personal information of over two dozen people that he had been, uh, that he had responded to. Um, (laughs) Investigators also found drugs inside his personal vehicle, along with uh, numerous uh, firearms. A trial date (laughs) is yet to be set, and he's now looking for another job, I'm assuming. It does say now former paramedic. Um, a Miami police officer is facing a battery charge after he is accused of throwing a cheeseburger at his wife. All right. (laughs) Officer Andres Perez was arrested last week by Miramar police after cops were called to the home that he shares with his wife. The pair was allegedly arguing about financial and infidelity issues when he threw the cheeseburger at her. All right. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, you know how the Barbie movie has just been going gangbusters, not just in this country, but globally. 
has made like a billion dollars of the global box office. And now a funeral home in El Salvador is cashing in on Barbie mania by offering pink caskets with Barbie linings. <laughs> that would take the cake as the most unusual Barbie accessory ever. This is a story from the Associated Press. The pink metal coffins are on sale at the Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega Funeral Home um, in El Salvador. The funeral home already offered the option of pink coffins before the Barbie movie premiered back in July. But the craze that has been sweeping the world uh, convinced the owner to decorate the cloth linings of the coffins with pictures of, of the doll. The uh, coffin's also decorated with little white stars. Uh, the owner, Isaac Villegas, Villegas said, uh, I said to myself, we have to jump on this trend. And he claims it has been a success. Um, apparently, especially in Latin America, they have gone Barbie crazy with pink colored tacos and pastries and uh, political ads cashing in on the uh, Barbie craze. Even Barbie themed protests government protests <laughs> is nothing sacred is nothing sacred there you go some of the uh, odd and unusual stories making the broken news this morning and we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming the Finley Trojans play here on WFIN. This is Tim Montgomery. Join me and Coach Cliff Height for all the action of Trojan football. You'll get every exciting play each Friday night, all season long, home and away. The Trojans open the season Friday night at home with Toledo Central Catholic. Finley Trojan football is here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. A little bit earlier this morning, we were uh, talking about a, a new survey that finds the average, uh, the amount of time uh, of a first date, the ideal amount of time for a first date uh, is a little less than three hours. According to a, a new survey, there's 2,000 actively dating Americans, they asked, uh, about first dates and the ideal conditions. Uh, the first date should last a little less than three hours, about two and three quarters, uh, two hours and 45 minutes, roughly, uh, that a date, uh, first date should have. But this was kind of interesting. And diving into some of the numbers here, again, there's 2,000 actively dating single Americans over the age of 21. Uh, the biggest piece of advice uh, they offered is have an escape route. <laughs> More than four in five Americans believe that dinner dates are the hardest to get away from if the date is not going well. They're the hardest to end early if things are, are not clicking. Um, More than half, 56%, it says here in the survey, uh, tend to go for dinner and a movie as the first date. Uh, but other top choices are much more escape-friendly if things aren't going well. Uh, casual drinks uh, or just going out for coffee, 43% said that's the ideal date because it's easy to end and cut short 
if it's not going well. Going to going to a market or going on a picnic, 34% said that's a good option. Um, the survey goes on to find uh, respondents say about four dates is what it takes to feel comfortable with that person. 31%, so nearly a third, feel that the least comfortable part about going on a first date is nerves. Calming those first date nerves. So some of the ways that can be helpful in easing those first date jitters, maybe having a drink, uh, don't go overboard, but have a drink, calm your nerves, wear your favorite outfit, uh, comfortable clothes, you're comfortable in your own skin, that's a, a way of feeling more comfortable uh, on the date, and choosing a familiar location. If you are comfortable in your surroundings, you are more likely to be comfortable on that date with uh, someone new. And of course, always have an escape plan is <laughs> the moral of the story. Oh, Lauren is here. Lauren is uh, is here. It is a Monday. Uh, <laughs> it is, is it a Monday for you too? <laughs> it is, it has been a Monday all the way around, I think for everyone. Uh, here, Lauren uh, Berner Kitzler is here from the uh, Hancock County OSU Extension uh, 4-H uh, program, uh, joining us in the uh, studio this morning. Thanks for dropping by. We yes. appreciate it. Good morning. So it is been a Monday, but that's it okay. Is, We're going to make everybody's it. Been, everybody's had a Monday uh, right. today. Uh, you are in full fair mode right now. Yes. Hard to believe that the yes. opening day of the fair is what? Like two weeks away. Yes, little 16 over two weeks. days. Sixteen days. Sixteen days. So there we, we, I like, knew we you would have the exact going number. on. Yeah. So a lot going on. Yes, we are in full swing right now. Um, so we just finished all of our livestock judging. So all of our kids through the livestock project side of it are done and ready to go to fair. Um, some upcoming things is we have 4-H programming every day taking place at the fair at one o'clock in our junior fair youth pavilion building. Um, every day we're going to talk about something in the four H's, what they stand for. So head, heart hands and health okay so um look forward to that okay. and then once the fair is over we are actually already looking and planning ahead for school programming and getting into the schools yeah it's uh, that is uh, right around the corner as well interesting you mentioned that the uh, livestock judging actually has already taken place yes it has so it took place okay. last monday um we ran seven over 786 kids through so so what happens during the actual shows then that take place uh during the fair so during the fair, um, the, our junior fair coordinator, Britta Fencemaker, will pick a judge for each species, has a different judge, mm -hmm. and those kiddos will just bring their animals into the ring, show uh, showing off their showmanship skills, um, their quality in which they've worked with their animal throughout the years or a couple months. Okay. Um, so that's all based on kind of the competition of working with your animal and preparing that way. Okay. So those are more showmanship. Correct. Uh, yeah. Uh, events uh as opposed to judging the actual correct uh, yep on the 4-h side judging we're sitting down with the member we're looking through their project book okay. we're looking through their records making sure you know everyone's feeding their animals properly um good quality care aspects yeah. of the animal uh a lot goes uh goes into this uh obviously it's not just the uh the fair of the week the the week of the fair and we've talked about that in the the past obviously this is a year-round uh project but even the judging goes on more than just you know the the one week at the fair yep absolutely so a lot of kiddos like like what we've talked many times before is this is a year-long project mm -hmm. um for those kiddos whether it's a non-livestock or a livestock project 
So yeah, the uh, non uh, livestock uh, things again. When we talk, think about the fair. You know, the animals kind of take center stage and everything, but not everyone involved in 4-H brings an animal. Correct. Yep. So not everyone takes a livestock project, which mm-hmm. is perfectly fine. Right. We have many kiddos that take um, non livestock is what we call them. So our sewing, woodworking, mm-hmm. cake decorating. Um, there's one out there for mowing your yard, which is very popular. I um, mean, all of those. <laughs> I need projects, to find those people so they can come over. Right. And, mow your hey, yard. Hey, I've got a project yes. for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, those projects are displayed in our junior fair youth building in our club's fair booth. So we have mm-hmm. 41 clubs. So we have 41 fair booths that will be going up. Um, so that building is shared between our 4-H clubs as well as our FFA and our art teachers here in the county. So you really are in full fair mode. It takes uh, quite a bit of time to coordinate all of this, get it all set up and and ready to go. This is a very busy time for you. Yes, and I have to give a shout out to the University of Finley, the freshman orientation class um, for their orientation slash community service came out last Friday and helped me build and set up all of our cubicle panels to build our 4-H booths. Mm-hmm. So, there you kudos go. to them. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, by the way, uh, also want to mention while we're on the subject of uh, fair, the state fair just wrapped up. Hancock County pretty pretty well represented they there did, as yes. well. So we had 86 um, projects go down to the Ohio State Fair representing here in Hancock County. So mm-hmm. it, was a, it was very good. So. Yeah. And uh, I mean, again, livestock and non-livestock mm-hmm. uh, represented very well at the uh, at the state fair. So yes. very cool. Uh, if uh, folks are uh, interested in learning more about what's going on uh, in the uh, month of August with uh, 4-H, but again, it, it's all pretty much fair-centric. Uh, you've got that on your... Uh, on our website as well as our Facebook page. And you mentioned then after, right after the fair is over, uh, segueing right back into uh, back-to-school time. So yep. We are planning for our back-to-school school program, so we have the program coming up of Breads of Harvest, um, as well as Real Money, Real World, and then looking in the springtime of Chick Quest coming back out. So good so all kinds of things uh, happening uh, right now with the uh, folks 4-h and again lauren burr kistler with us from the hancock county osu extension thanks very much for dropping by we'll you. see you at the fair here in a couple of weeks yes absolutely have a good day everybody <laughs> and that will finish up our podcast for today I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning and remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.